Welcome to The Way Home Podcast, a conversation about church, community, and culture. I'm your host, Dan Darling, here in Nashville, Tennessee. Today, I'm excited to be joined by none other than Louis Giglio. Louis is the pastor of Passion City Church in Atlanta, Georgia. He's the founder of Passion Conferences, global movement of college-age people living for the fame of Jesus Christ. I have no doubt that many of you listening and many people that I know uh, have been impacted at one time or another by attending a passion event and have been compelled to give their life for Christ through Louis's ministry. Louis is also the author of six books, including his latest, The Comeback. Louis and his wife, Shelly, head up Six Step Records that includes popular Christian artists such as Chris Tomlin and David Crowder. Uh, today, we're going to talk with Louis about a few things. First, about his journey uh, from teaching a small Bible study at Baylor University to leading the International Passion Conferences and what that journey has been like for him. We're also going to talk to him about his new book, Comeback, and why the gospel is so compelling, especially in this culture, and why God is, in every generation, uh, moving in the hearts of people. And we're also going to speak a little bit about leadership. Uh, Louis made a kind of unusual transition from leading a big international uh, organization like Passion to leading now in a local church in Atlanta. And he had some interesting insights on what that uh, transition has been like for him. Before we begin talking with Louis, however, I want to tell you about an exciting new ebook that we're making available from ERLC's Leland House Press. And this is edited by my colleague Trillia Newbell, who was our director of community outreach at ERLC. And it's entitled Women on Life. And what Trillia did was gather leading female Christian voices, pro life voices, and gathered their thoughts on what it means to be pro-life. Uh, she interviewed many of the leading pro-life advocates who are president of organizations like Americans United for Life, focus on the family and the March for Life, and asked them their perspective at where we are in this movement. She also has essays from, from moms, from single moms, uh, from people who are invested in the pro-life movement. This is a really important book. Much of the narrative around pro-life issues is that uh, it's a war on women, uh, and this book hopes to dispel some of that narrative. Here are some women who are passionately pro-women and pro-life. So you can order Women on Life by going to ERLC.com and clicking on our resources page. You should find a link there. It's available in print and all major ebook formats, so I encourage you to get a copy of it today. But for now, let's join our conversation with Louis Giglio. Well, honored to have Louis Giglio here on the Way Home Podcast. Thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it. Dan, I love being on with you. Thank you so much. So we're here to talk about your new book, The Comeback, which is a really great book, and I'm I'm eager to just think through some of the themes that you have in that book. Before we do that, I just want to talk a little bit about your story and about the passion movement and kind of where where it is today. You know, when you started Passion few decades ago, did you think, did you ever have any idea that it would grow to to what God has done uh, with it today? Well, you know, I've learned in life not to count God out, so uh-huh. I want to say no, because that's kind of the right answer, but <laughs> on the flip side of it, you know, God always seems to surprise us with whatever He ends up doing with our yes uh, to Him, and when we started Passion, it was 1995 when the vision sort of clarified for us, this is what God wanted us to do. Our first conference was in January 97, and even your question, Dan, you said a couple of decades ago, and I was yeah. like, oh my word. You know, I'm praise God. I mean, things don't last a couple of decades anymore, so no. that's that's beautiful. 
But no, when we started at Passion 97, January 1st through the 4th at Austin, Texas, there was no way I would have dreamed that 2015, I'm going to be on a podcast with you talking about what God's doing with Passion. But the interesting thing about you know, the heartbeat of Passion is to really see 18 to 25-year-olds, college-age mm-hmm. young people, university students, have a 180 in their thinking from a very me-centric faith to the kind of faith that says, God, I want my whole life, whatever I'm about, uh, whatever field I'm in, whatever passion I'm pursuing, I want all that to be about the glory of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And every four years, you know, that door revolves again, or in my case, every six years, you know, every mm-hmm. every four to six years, the door revolves again, and a whole new wave of freshmen enter into the collegiate window, mm-hmm. the university moment, as I call it. And they're all waiting for somebody to really help them stake a, a meaning, a reason for being in biomechanics or mm-hmm. for being a physicist or for wanting to be a structural engineer or for wanting to be a filmmaker. You know, they want someone to help them stake the why in the middle of that. And so here we are, years and years and years, and decades and decades later, we're doing our 19th year of Passion Conference wow. coming up in a few weeks. Wow. And then January 2017, our 20th anniversary gathering back at the Georgia Dome in Atlanta, Georgia, where we hope to have, you know, an excess of 60,000 university-age young people lifting up the name of Jesus. It's been quite a ride, and no, I don't think we could have all <laughs> planned that or seen that coming in 1997. Well, you know, when I, in my role now, I'm traveling around the country and talking to pastors and church leaders, and it's amazing, Louis, how many people I meet who who said, you know, they point to a passion event as that kind of key turning point in their life. You know, I went to passion, whether it's, you know, I heard that uh, John Piper speak, or I heard Louis speak, or I heard somebody, and and that was kind of the catalyzing moment in their life where they decided to really follow Christ with their life. And so that has to give you joy to hear stories like that. Well, I saw David Platt a few um, months ago, back in the summer at Mm -hmm. the the Send event in Nashville, and I love David, and we're friends, but I don't see him face-to-face, but maybe once a year. Mm -hmm. And he just said, hey, I just want to tell you all over again. He said it was passion. He named one. He Mm -hmm. named where he was sitting. He named, he described the moment, and he said, and this is where God changed my life. Matt Chandler spoke at Passion last year. Actually, crazily, the first time he's spoken as a main session speaker at Passion. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, Passion 99, I think it was 99 or 98. Um, sitting, I know where I was sitting. I can tell you exactly where I was in the moment. John Piper started talking. My world changed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everyone doesn't have to be a David Platt or a Matt Chandler, but I, like you, it's hard for me to go anywhere mm-hmm. without running into somebody who says, I'm in Ghana because of passion. I'm in this role because of passion. I'm serving God in this way because of passion. And, you know, honestly, that is passion. Passion is not about, it's not a conference ministry, it's not about big events or stadiums or arenas, it's really about people saying, I want my life to count for what matters most. And if we don't have that downstream of the David Platts, the Matt Chandlers, or a pastor who's listening right now saying, hey, nobody knows me, I'm not Matt Chandler, but I am mm-hmm. out here serving my community in, in Kansas, then we're all really in the same boat, we're just all taking the opportunity we have and we're all wanting to maximize and leverage that opportunity where God has us for something that matters 
the most, and that is the fame of Jesus. And so it's very rewarding, and it's very affirming that we're doing the right thing. And honestly, it's not passion doing all that. It's the Spirit of God doing all mm-hmm. that. And so thankfully, we're we're on a good ride. <laughs> it's been well, pretty humbling and pretty amazing. Well, one of the questions I wanted to ask you, I mean, I think the, the reason that people really are drawn to passion and are drawn to, to your ministry particularly, I mean, one of the reasons is there's a sort of, I would say, sort of a boundless enthusiasm for what God may do in this generation. But there's a lot of people who are sort of lamenting the culture, you know, the, the cultural shifts in terms of Christianity being less and less, you know, well-received. Uh, you know, there's a lot of hand-wringing over uh, young people leaving the church. I, I don't really I don't really buy that narrative, but there's a, there's a lot of it out there. And and yet you see with like passion movements, people from all these universities, young people really uh, committing their lives to the Lord. What do you tell people that are sort of um, in that state of mind where they're they're sort of pessimistic about the future of the church? Well, that's that's such a great a question slash analysis, Dan. And I think what I try to tell myself is, you know, go with Jesus. Just mm. go with Jesus, and. Where Jesus is today is he said, I will build my church. He didn't say he would build Louis' church or Dan's church or, you know, Brother Ronnie's church over here. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. So that's got to cut through the pessimism at some point. <laughs> that has yeah. to cut through you know, the fog at some point, and, you know, bad news travels faster than good news. <laughs> a bad report gets repeated way more times than a good report. Um, a church or a person or a blog post or an anecdote that, you know, somebody left the church or is down in the church gets, gets you know, repeated way, way more than the faithful advance of the kingdom of God. And we had our community group leaders here a few days ago. Um, for Passion 2016, and these guys are the ones that help us break it down from the arena uh, to help lead students into a family group of six or eight people, and there's a dozen of them. They are some of the the greatest leaders in America, Mm. and they're never going to be on the main stage, but they help us shepherd the tens of thousands of students that will be at Passion. And we we have some new guys and some older guys, uh, some guys that have been with us a long time, we were introducing people around the room, and if I said a few of the names, people would even know some of these guys' names. They're very significant leaders all across America, mostly with 20-somethings. And I'm watching around the room as they're being introduced, and I know them all, obviously, and I'm just thinking, wow, that guy's conference this summer had 13,000 high school kids at it in Birmingham, Alabama. Mm. I would guess most people listening to, to this podcast today or um, however they access the interview we're doing today, don't know about that conference. Look across from the next guy and see what he's leading in his part of America. Look at the next guy and see how God's using him in an amazing way. And it's just really, really powerful. And, you know, I, I think we just don't know what God's doing. So long answer, but yes, there are, there's a person here or there or somewhere that's kind of bailing out on the church. I know that's happening, but there are more people, I think, who are flooding into church than are flooding out of church. It just not might not be the church that you or I know about. And I have a bird's eye view of seeing a lot of things around the country, and I think the kingdom of God is advancing more 
than it ever has. The church is expanding more than I've ever seen it expand in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. If, you, if we were doing this interview 15 years ago, and I'm sitting in Atlanta, Georgia, where I am right now, most of the vibrant ministry that's happening in Atlanta and touching the world didn't exist 15 years mm-hmm. ago. And so I, I'm positive, and I'm positive on college-age young people. They have tremendous potential. They just need to be believed in, invested in, shepherded, and released. Mm-hmm. And if we will do those things as the older leaders, we're going to see a tremendous potential burst forth through the collegiate age group that we're we're you know, privileged to lead right now. Louis, one more question before we talk about your great book, The Comeback. You planted a church a few years ago. I mean, you're still doing, obviously, uh, conference ministry and pastor ministry, but you felt the call to plant a church there in in the Atlanta area uh, a few years ago. How has the transition been for you to pastoring a a church every week and preaching every week? Uh, What are some of the uh, interesting things about that transition for you? Well, it's pretty challenging, to be really honest about it. I don't know too many, I really don't know anyone else has been on the journey that we've been on. And by that, I don't mean that we're exceptional in any way. I just mean that we had a global footprint. We mm-hmm. have a record label with guys like mm-hmm. Chris Tomlin and Matt Redman and Crowder and Passion. And we have had, we've done events in, you know, dozens of nations around the world. We've gathered millions of people and all kinds of venues over decades and to take all of that and sort of squeeze it down into a local expression of faith, you know, to go from a hundred thousand feet down to one inch to Mm -hmm. go from 80 miles an hour down to one mile per hour (laughs) and to genuinely plant a church, be authentic about it, get down to the bottom and the basics and start to dig the trenches like every other church planner ever has. I mean, yes, we had, you know, 3,600 people show up on day one at Passion City Church, but that was an event. That wasn't church. That was a crowd. Mm. And so our challenge has been to turn a crowd into a church. And honestly, I'm not looking for sympathy because I know people are like, great, I would love to have that opportunity to try that one day. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it's more difficult to take a crowd and shape it into a church than it is to take a church and see God grow it into the kind of ministry that gathers and impacts big crowds. Mm. And there was no one I could call, Dan. I could pick up the phone and say, hey, you, you know, kind of had this and then backed it all the way down to this. How did you do that? Mm. And so it's been a little bit of a lonely, challenging journey, but I'm, I love it. And the speaking part of it, people say, what's it like speaking every week? Is that a challenge for you? And For me, I did that at Baylor University for 10 years uh, when we were there doing Mm -hmm. campus ministry. I did that at 722, a young adult ministry here in Atlanta, for 11 years. So for 21 years consecutively, I spoke every single week. And it was only the few years in between the ending of 722 and the planting of Passion City Church for me that I didn't speak every single week. And so I loved that. Um, Pastoring people is great. I think the challenge for me is more... Just, um, you know, Bill Hybels is brilliant, and he calls it the blocking and tackling. And he says, you know, you and Chris Tomlin have been used to going around the world and throwing these 75-yard touchdown passes. <laughs> he <laughs> said, that's not church leadership, Louie. <laughs> he says, church leadership, being a pastor, and all the pastors right now are nodding their heads. <laughs> you know, being a pastor is about blocking and tackling every day. Yeah. It's about the offensive line and the defensive line. And if you run 20 plays, 
and you block and tackle well, on the 21st play, guy's going to break off a 30-yard run. And you have to celebrate the blocking, celebrate the tackling, celebrate advancing the cause of the kingdom and the lives of regular and real people day by day by day. That's what church is. And every now and then you do get, you know, a really big, gigantic moment. But you start to learn and realize that all the moments are big, gigantic moments. And all the steps, even the smallest one for somebody, is a really big and important step. And so it, it's challenging on a lot of levels. We could do a whole podcast about that. Yeah. But um, at the same time, passion was built from nothing into something. And Passion City Church will be built from something very small into something, I hope, that touches and influences our city and and hopefully potentially influences the whole world. The principle's the same. You know, vision is the 1%. The sacrifice, the teamwork, the commitment, the ingenuity, the determination, the sweat, the blood, the faith, the prayers, that's the 99%. And that's the same in starting Passion. It's the same in planting Passion City Church. I will say, though, just really quickly, sorry for the long answer. No, that's okay. This that, is good. Uh, the enemy doesn't like a local church on a level more than he didn't like Passion. <laughs> He's mm. never liked Passion. Mm. But the local church is God's expression uh, to the world, and passion serves the church. We want to encourage pastors, and we want to lift up the church all over the world. But boy, when you step into that zone of actually being the local church, you're 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 inviting a different kind of fight mm. from the enemy. And I've learned that in the past six years. But God is still able, and He is the God of the comeback. Mm. Well, speaking of that great transition there, I do want to talk about your book, uh, The Comeback. And one of the things I, I just I love about this, this is, you know, this is the heart of the gospel story that 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 God delights in through Christ turning sinners into saints and and turning their lives around. And what was sort of the impetus for writing this book? What did God put on your heart to write this book? Well, two things, really, Dan. Uh, one, I'm, you know, we talked about being a pastor. When you're a pastor, you have the privilege of being invited into people's pain. Mm-hmm. And so you see, you know, you're also invited into their joy, which is great. But you have the privilege of being invited into their pain. And so you're in the dark place, in the valley with people. So that's one of the, the reasons why all this was sort of born out of a series we did at Passion City a few summers ago called The Comeback. And we just shared stories of people in our church who were seeing God bring them through all manner of things. But the second reason I wrote the book, The Impetus, was just my own comeback story. And in 2008, the year we planted the church, I fell into a hole of depression, um, anxiety, doom, dread, fear of death. It incapacitated me for, for months, and it was a real place for me. It was so brutal that I really didn't imagine when I was in the middle of that place that I would ever be back in normality again, leading again. I I certainly would never imagine being on this interview with you today if you asked me that back in December of 2008. Mm. And so, but God brought me through that. It's a long story. It's a long journey. A lot of factors in it. No easy formula, but God brought me through and out of that place. And he brought me back into the land of the living, back into the light, back into leadership. And I want to say that. I want to speak that. I want to be honest about that story, because I feel like a lot of leaders and a lot of pastors identify with that. But we 
don't feel like we can talk about it or we've never heard anybody else talk about it. And that compounds the problem when you're in that hole because you think you're alone and isolated and crazy. And so I wanted to write about it. So I actually opened the book, first chapter. It's the story of, you know, me having a meltdown. And I hope that's an encouragement to people, but that's not just that story in the book. There are stories about loss of spouses, about addiction, about cancer, about all manner of hurdles and obstacles and defeat and darkness that people that I know have come up against. And the book isn't neat and tidy, and it doesn't have a little bow for every story. But the book is filled with hope, and as you said, the greatest hope of all underneath it is the resurrection of Jesus. And if that is, in fact, what we put our hope in, then we know that God is bigger than every circumstance and can and will work through every circumstance for His glory and for our good. You know, I think one of the things this book does really well and what your ministry has done well is remind people that God does and is active doing this kind of gospel work in this generation. I think we tend to look at previous generations sometimes with sort of a rose-colored glasses if we go back to these times or those times, or maybe, you know, there's a lot of lamenting of the the changing culture. And uh, as my, my boss, Russell Moore, often says that, you know, some of the very people that might be opposed to us ideologically on some things are the people God is going to... Uh, save and might be our future brothers and sisters in Christ. And so that's that's the thing that really struck me about this is that you're telling people that God does want to do gospel work. He does want to change lives and save people in this generation. Well, his, you know, promise, thank goodness, the, as far as I can tell, there isn't an expiration date on the gospel <laughs> except yeah. for that moment that the trumpet sounds mm. and Christ appears. And we have uh, an interesting way of glamorizing the past and I think really underselling the present. And people say, man, I wish I'd lived back in the New Testament times. I mean, you mean back when they were lighting Christians on fire to, uh, you know, light the way to the emperor's party in Rome? Do you want that, That's the time you wish we could go back to? <laughs> The time where entire cities were being destroyed because of ungodliness, you wish you could go back to that time. We've somehow glamorized what's past, and we devalue and undervalue the power of the gospel right now in the present. And I'm not minimizing the fact that we're living in cultural challenging days, culturally challenging days. I mean, I'm not minimizing that at all, but I also have read the New Testament. These people thought it was so bad, so dark so desperate that this must mean Jesus is coming today. Mm-hmm. That's how they viewed their culture mm-hmm. in the times that the Spirit of God was empowering men to write the New Testament story for us. And so many places through the New Testament, they're like, "These are the, this is the end days, the it. last days, this yeah. is the end times, this has gone from bad to worse, things are falling apart, and they were. But here we are 2,000 plus years later, and we're saying, man, things are falling apart, the earth's shaking and quaking, and this is probably going to be the end, and I don't know. I, Jesus doesn't know, and only the Father knows when the hour and the time is, and I certainly don't know when the hour and the time is, and I want to be ready. This is my thing. I want to be ready to go before dinner tonight, mm-hmm. but I want to be planning the kind of impact that's going to last the next thousand years on planet Earth. Mm-hmm. And I know somebody listening to this is going, man, you are out of your mind. There's not going to be a thousand years, bro. Jesus is coming, man. We're in the last days. This is the end times. You better get ready. And I'm like, well, I am ready. <laughs> I'm completely ready, utterly ready, totally ready. 
but I want to be thinking and arcing my influence and ministry to not just think about a two-year plan or a five-year plan. I'm thinking like Piper always says when he speaks. He says, God, I pray this message will reverberate in such a way that people will be talking about this message a hundred years from now. And Mm. I think that that's the kind of mentality we want to have. That's the gospel. That's the durability of the gospel, the power of the gospel. Mm. And it is the power that we put our hope in. So I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes, everyone who believes, even people in 2015 Mm. and in 2016 and in 2017 and in 2018 and in Main Street and Hollywood and wherever, it is the power of the gospel. And so that there's, this, as far as I can tell, no reason to be discouraged. There's only more motivation, right, to share the story of Jesus with people because it will work and it does work wherever it is shared. So maybe we got to stop fighting people and find more creative ways to communicate the gospel to people and then let the gospel do what the gospel can and will do. Well, thank you so much, uh, Louis Giglio, for joining me today. Really appreciate your heart and uh, the work that you've done. And uh, so many so many students have committed their lives through the Passion Ministry and for the music and just the, the gift that you are to the body of Christ. And we're thankful for you and encourage people to go out and get your book, The Comeback. Uh, I know it'll really encourage another generation of, of folks. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on today. Well, I want to thank Louis Giglio for giving me his time and this great conversation. If you enjoyed the podcast, would you let us know by sending us an email to wayhome at erlc.com or writing a review on iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn or Signal, however you get uh, this podcast. Remember also to check out Women on Life, a brand new ebook edited by Trillia New Bell, uh, available at erlc.com. But for now, thank you for listening to the Way Home podcast. The Way Home is recorded and produced by Gary Lancaster. Research is conducted by David Clausen, and scheduling is handled by Marie Delph. The Way Home is a production of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention.